Welcome to the Forest Educator Podcast. I'm Ricardo Sierra. I want to start this spotlight with a story first, because about, I want to say about 15 years ago, I got a call from an instructor at another wilderness school. And it wasn't that uncommon for me to sometimes get a call from someone. Again, this is, the internet had been around for a while, but I was getting emails, but typically people would still jot down your number, give you a ring and call and take a chance that they would get you. And it just happened, I was working in the office that day. It was like, it was in the early winter and me and one of my staff, we were in the office, we're getting ready, planning the camp season for the following year. And this person was an instructor in a homeschooling program. And those were really popular back in the day, and I think still are, where the, he, he worked in a program with students who were, you know, homeschooling with their families, but they would also take a program at their school. And this was one of the younger instructors, and he was leading a group, his, leading his own group at times. And he called, he had been in one of our programs or a festival or something. So I'd met him before. And he called me up and was just like, Ricardo, I'm so glad I got a hold of you. I'm working with these kids. They're a little older. They're, you know, 11, 12, 13. And I need your help. Can you help me? I'm, I've been teaching these kids a lot of wilderness skills. I need more skills. And I go, well, what have you taught? And he goes, well, you know, we've taught fire making. I've done bow drills and hand drill fires and flint and steel. And I've, and I've also been teaching like building a shelter and we've been making cordage. And like he just listed all the kind of standard bushcraft slash wilderness survival program elements. And so he told me th- that he was just like, I'm pulling my hair out. They just want more. They're really into it. But I need new stuff. What can you what can you show me? What can you tell me? You know, initially when I got this call, as I was sitting there, I thought, well, I know of at least five more fire making methods that they could do. I started to kind of go through my head of my own list of things that I've done that I could begin teaching him. And then and then all of a sudden it hit me like, wait a minute, he's in this homeschooling program. And I said, So how many hours per week are you working with them? And he said, Well, I'm working with them from, you know, nine in the morning till three, three days a week. And I thought, okay, you know, that's great. How are you going through these skills so quickly? And he said, well, you know, every day we come in, we do, you know, we have a little routine, we have a campfire, we share some things, and then we go from there into skill time. And then we just work on these skills. I teach something new and then we have lunch and then we go on on a hike and then After that, they practice a few crafts and then they're gone. I said, why are you telling me that you've done all the skills that you know and that you need more? And he said, well, they're just, they just want to keep learning more things. I said, well, how did you teach them fire making? And he started to describe how he was teaching them how to carve a bow drill set and, you know, demonstrate the fire making. And then they got to sit and demonstrate it and then got a coal with a lot of help from him and each other. And then they blew that ember into flames. And, you know, they had enough of the children go through that, that they were like, okay, now we're on to the next thing. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're just moving on to a new level, like immediately like that. He says, yeah. So I tell him, first of all, it's great that you're teaching this stuff. So just so you know, like, I think that's awesome, all the things you're sharing with them. However, if you're going to be teaching them these skills, you have to figure out where are they at as far as what they can they do on their own. And number one, 
you have to, if you're going to teach them about fire, can they make a fire with a match? Can they make a fire in the rain? Can they make a fire blindfolded? Can they make a fire in an area like a, you know, in, in an area that's very open, like in a meadow where they have to like really scramble to look for the right materials? Like I basically just started taking him down through all these different aspects that go into the skill of fire making. And I said, you've, you know, when I teach fire making in a lot of my camps, I don't teach them, you know, bow and drill until I know they've mastered it with matches. And I said, and I don't just teach them with matches one time. I'll teach it seven times. I'll teach it in different areas. I'll teach it under timed things. I'll teach it making a fire with a group. I teach it making pairs. Like I, I tried to kind of share with him that there is a, a learning process that happens with fire and you don't just get to see it once and then have somebody help you get a fire using that apparatus and then you're done. That is not mastering a skill. I mean, if it, if it was, if that's all it took, you know, then somebody could just go, hey, look, I sat on the basketball court until I made a three-point shot. And then as soon as they made that three-point shot, they'd be like, okay, I'm ready for the NBA. No, that's not how it works. You know, there's, there's so much practice. There's a routine. There's an element of what are they going to learn and can they master that element before we move on to the next thing. And the reason that he had this problem was because of one very, very important distinction and element that he wasn't taking into account. And that is when he learned these skills, he went to a workshop, he went to a class, he might've gone to a a week-long wilderness class or a weekend type class or an intensive where he spent, you know, four days learning with a bunch of instructors who were moving through that material very quickly. And they would go, all right, we're going to show you how to do fire. And then we're going to move on to the next thing. And now we're going to do coal burning. And then we're going to move into wild edible plants. And they would be getting a sampling of each of these things and getting just enough working knowledge and then sending them home to say, okay, you know, for you, now you have to put together all those other elements and practice it and make it your own. And so when you get imprinted on a workshop model of teaching, then the problem isn't really there. The problem is where he now is teaching and he's using the homeschooling model. And the homeschooling model is very different because it's kind of like, okay, three days a week, you're going to have these kids and you've got to fill up that time and you've got to fill it up with meaningful experiences. And his program was not a homeschooling program that was a forest school model where it, there's like a tremendous amount of free time, free play, free exploration it was it was much more of a hey you're going to be learning these wilderness skills and nature skills and they're both awesome models but he was trying to then take a workshop model and just cram it in and of course he would run out of material because in the workshop model they weren't sharing well how do you gather firewood what makes a firewood better versus another kind do you gather it from the ground or do you get branches on a tree or do you use a saw to saw up pieces you know, how do you stack it? How do you store it? You know, how do you tell if wood is wet or dry? How do you tell if it's hardwood versus softwood? There are layers and layers and layers of skills that are what I call the skills behind the skills. And so everyone can get all excited about the, ooh, look at that. They're making fire without matches. It's like, ooh, that's so cool. But what they don't realize is that just being able to do that hand drill fire or a bow drill fire or whatever it is that they're doing that they're seeing on the surface, there is a layer and another layer and another layer and another layer of skills and 
elements that need to be mastered if you really want to know something that has value and to really understand it at that deeper level. And so that kind of led me to an understanding here about, you know, what we do in our programs. And, And to be honest, our summer camp programs for, you know, 30 years worked a little bit on the workshop model at times. Like we started with that model and then we gradually realized that many times students were showing up at our program and they didn't have those skills behind the skills. I would, I would say, all right, we're going to make grass mats, you know, grass blankets. And we'd gather the grass and then we'd start tying these knots. And I'd watch some of the children go, oh, there, this kid's just twining this rope around and around and around. Why is he using up all that string? And I'm like, oh, okay. I watched him. And then I thought, okay, he doesn't understand how to make a knot. So he's just wrapping it like 20 times around and then going to the next bundle of grass. It was really funny for me in a way to look at this and go, how did I miss this? And it brought me back to one of the things that, you know, Tom Brown had taught me back in the day when I first started learning is that he said, if I'm going to teach you about tracking or nature awareness or wilderness survival or any of these things, he said, the very, very biggest piece that I have to do is I have to teach you how to think. I didn't really know what he meant by that. And he said, well, I don't want to just teach you a bunch of set techniques or hacks, as they might be called now, or a strategy, because he goes, in the wilderness, situations are always evolving. They're always changing. Sometimes you're looking at the weather changing from a wet period into a incredibly hot, muggy, intense heat. Sometimes you're changing from kind of a cool weather to an ice cold weather. You're sometimes in a place where you're like, okay, this food source is going to be gone in three days and we will have to look for a new food source. All of these things are happening all the time in real time in the in nature. And so he he's explaining to us that it's not enough to just listen to what he's saying and then think okay now we know about survival. He said you have to be paying attention to what is going on around you all the time. Not just sometimes, not just checking in once in a while. You really have to have your finger on the pulse of what is this telling me. It's kind of one of his key Uh, philosophical questions that he asks is, what is this telling me? You know, his, his theory is that if you don't start asking those questions, you're, you really don't know what to pay attention to. And to be honest, when you look outside, there's just, there's stuff happening all the time. There's robins fighting amongst themselves over territory. And there's, you know, porcupine climbing up a tree and there's a dead branch falling out of a tree All these things are happening and they're happening within us. You know, we're getting hungry, we're getting tired. You have to be able to pay attention and think about how to respond and through that awareness, make decisions. And so at the time, at that time, I was 20 years old. It was November, 1984. I'm sitting in a barn in Asbury, New Jersey. And when I look back on it, I realized what he was saying. I mean, I took down really good notes, so I have it written down. I have it starred like 10 times because when I went back, I thought, you know, like it just, that element really rung in my head. Like it just was like a ding, like a bell going off for me because I realized that as I was teaching children in my programs, how do we teach 
our children in a progressive level when they are not learning these things at home. Like they're not learning it, like the way native people did it was that they were like, oh, you saw somebody gathering firewood from the time you were just born until the time you were able to run around and get firewood yourself. And so you saw people making fires. You saw it, it was like embedded, every aspect of their culture was embedded in their culture all the time. In our world, we don't see the skills behind the skills. We don't see a factory making the plates that we use for the dinner table. We don't have we don't we don't live around a washing machine factory where they're putting together a washer and dryer and you're getting to see the components and how it all works and people adjusting the timers and all the stuff. We don't see any of those things for the most part. We literally get to see just the consumer side of it. And so I mean, this isn't I mean some people live in households where they are making a lot of things, but for the most part in America and in most of like the modern world, we are living lives where we are fundamentally cut off from that aspect of that. And so when you have children that show up from those households and you're starting to teach them about fire making or shelter or how to carve wood or uh, what types of wild foods to gather or whatever, they don't have 12 years of experience watching their mother gather the berries needed to have all of us eat tonight. So the skills behind the skills, why this is relevant, I think, is because when we are teaching our forest education programs, we're teaching them how to take care of themselves from a very early perspective in our human development. Like we have centuries of doing it the old way. All of our ancestors learned how to do those things. And we had that our entire brain structure, our bodies were designed to fulfill those tasks and interact with our environment and be part of nature and do those things. And when we do them, there's a certain feeling that they have. It's like plucking your genetic strings where, you know, when you're looking into a campfire, it's just mesmerizing and it almost awakens this like primal feeling. When we go tracking and we're looking at this like grizzly bear track in the ground, in the soft mud, slowly filling with water, and you go, wow, this is this is super fresh. Number one, you're thinking, let, I, mean, I might want to get out of here. But there's also this awe. There's an, uh, an inherent understanding that I think we have inside of us that is connecting to that. I think there's something that helps us to connect to that as we move and through, the, through life or whatever. When we, when we have that, it just is a different feeling. It's like something that inside that says, hey, I remember this. I don't have a conscious memory, but this is somehow important. And so when we're teaching these programs, like if we're teaching in our program, something around fire or gathering food, wild edible plants or whatever. All of these elements that we do when we teach them, no matter what age person we're teaching, it's so vital that we actually look at where are those students and do they have the skills behind the skills? Do they have some experience? And I'll be honest, almost every time that I look at them and go, yeah, I'm pretty sure they know what's going on. They don't. Because you can assume that they might have some of that, but it's it's really easy to make an assumption that will turn around and bite you because that's when you go, I don't need to cover knife safety. They all look like they know what they're doing. Oh, these are adults. These are 35-year-old people. They should be able to carve safely. Man, I'm telling you, please, 
Don't do it. Don't do it. These people will have trouble. And when they do, you will go, I would have really (laughs) might have been a good idea. So no matter what age you're working with, please add this to your bag of tricks, this understanding of there are skills behind the skill of whatever you're doing. If you're trying to teach how to make a bow and arrow, there's a lot of skills that go in behind that. There are skills of knot tying making cordage, twisting fibers, um, understanding what kinds of trees there are. Can they identify a hickory tree, a juniper tree, a service berry or uh, white ash or whatever, Osage orange, like whatever trees you're using, do they know how to understand and look at and read the grain? Have they done carving? Do they know about how to use a spoke shave or a cabinet scraper or, you know, various rasps or whatever tools you're using, a draw knife? All of these things go into building the skill base that you need to be able to function in the world. And, and it's true whether you're making a bow and arrow, it's true if you're gathering wild edibles, if you're making baskets or whatever it is. I'm kind of describing all these earth skill type things, but it, it's also true in life and whatever that is. So in other words, if you're an electrician, obviously you go through a training to be an electrician. So there is this sort of like, what are the skills that an electrician needs to know? Like they need to know from the ground up and not be, you know, have any assumptions made. If you're a paramedic, you need to know all the equipment you're supposed to use and how to take care of those bandages and where in the first aid kit everything is. And what are the techniques and what are the indications of diabetes or diabetic shock or whatever those elements are, hypothermia, pregnancy, fractures, all of these things are going to be built into these different careers. And as human beings, we each have to have a big enough bank of these skills behind the skills that give us the ability to then begin mastering the skills we need to take care of ourselves. And when we don't have those, I mean, I'm going to be really honest. If we don't have those skills and we don't learn them when we're four, when we're five, when we're seven, when we're 12, if we don't have that time, to get those practical hands-on daily experiences that are critical to us as human beings to be able to function. I mean, we're talking like a basic awareness of like what's going on in nature, what's going on with those birds, what is my body needing right now? What are, when you when you miss those those developmental experiences, then you are at a disadvantage because you will not understand how to read other people and their emotions. You won't understand your own feelings. You won't know how to communicate some of these things. You won't feel comfortable trying something new because when every time you try something new, you're not that good at it because you didn't actually get those skills behind the skills. So as soon as you go from say, learning how to basically just carve a point on a stick, that's good. You have to know that in order to then be able to make an arrow five years later in a class or whatever. You know, you can translate. I'm using the earth skill stuff, but it could be even like in a building. So, I mean, sometimes I'll have staff that will be here and they'll say, hey, Rick, I want to help you uh, put some siding on the cabin. They don't know how to use a power saw, which I keep away from them. And they really want to be able to use a screw gun to, or an impact driver to like drive screws to attach the siding to the walls of a timber frame. And they don't know how to push with their shoulder. They don't have, they don't know how fast to drive the screw. They don't know when to stop. And so I have to train them and say, if you're going to help me with siding later today, I really can't have you slow me down when I only have this little window. So I'm going to give you some boards and I'm going to give you some 
pieces of wood and I want you to screw these boards to this piece of wood and I need you to practice that uh, for 30 minutes beforehand. You know, here's the screws. You're going to screw it. You're going to push them in. You're going to pull the screw. You're going to reverse it, pull the screw out. And I know I'm going to lose some screws. I know I'm going to lose those pieces of scrap wood and that's okay, but I have to train them and like kind of try to give them those skills that they need to be able to actively effectively help me, you know, later in the day when I'm like on the ladder at the top waiting for this board to be screwed down at the bottom so I can do my part. I need to be able to know that they can handle that. And I can see the frustration and they they want to be able to like help at a high level, but they haven't they haven't driven a nail. So if you've ever been working on a job site and you've watched people try to hammer nails in while you're watching and everybody's waiting, it's crazy. It's like so frustrating because you're like, just hit it, hit it. And they're like trying, they miss, they miss. Oh, they hit the edge of it. It fl- flings out and goes flying somewhere. Then they have to put another one in. Then something else happens because that's the learning curve. And that's, you know, that they didn't get that when they were five and getting to just hammer pegs in holes they're not they're missing that developmental stage that that so many kids did in my generation or the generations before me so i want to just say that this is one of the reasons why i believe that practical outdoor skills and experiences outside in nature learning these things is vital to the health and well-being of these kids as they go forward in life and we're already seeing the effects of what happens when kids don't get these when you don't have these skills you know it you know it inside and you know I don't care how many videos you can post on TikTok or how much how much knowledge you have of like Instagram or whatever the bottom line is that in 3 years they're going to change the algorithms there's going to be a new TikTok coming in a new version of something we're always going to have to learn a new thing. But if you don't, when it comes to computers and data and everything else, but if you don't have these fundamental elements built into you, you know, you're missing something. And I know a lot of people who are 17, 15, 22, 30, who know that they are missing these core skills. And I remember, man, it was like 10 years ago. I remember talking to a woman, she was like in her late twenties and she had two kids. She's an amazing graphic designer, awesome lady. And she was talking to me about some project that she was working on with us. And I said, yeah, I got to go home. I'll see you guys later. And she goes, well, what are you doing for the rest of the day? And I said, well, we have this big vegetable garden and it's like the end of June. This is when the weeds, when they get, when you get your first big blast of like nice soaking rain, the weeds just go insane. So I have to go out and weed all the stuff. And she looked at me for a minute and she's like, I have a big yard. I just want to garden so bad. And I go, Hey, it's, it's totally easy. You can just go out in your, in your yard and just start planting some seeds, you know, like you can do it. And she looked at me and was like, I could never do that. I don't know what I'm doing. And I realized in that moment, you know, I, I started to outline like, oh, we'll go to the hardware store, go to the stand where it has all these different vegetable seeds, pick three or four of them, go in, get a shovel, get a couple things, turn the soil over, put some seeds in the ground, throw some, you know, uh, some manure on it or compost. Like I started to go through that, that whole process. And then I looked and I realized she's never used a shovel before. She doesn't know how to do those things. And so the idea of going and doing all that is so intimidating that she just sort of freezes up. And she also knows that she wants, if she does it, she doesn't want to fail. She doesn't want to do it wrong. And that really hit me. I mean, she was, is missing this element of, I'm going to try something. I'm going to try it. I'm going to read about it. I'm going to just go for it. 
because she ne- she just didn't have the experience of digging, chopping, whatever. Uh, we had a wilderness program that we did in the winter one time, and it just happened that there was like five women that took it. It was a winter winter survival class. It was like a 10-day winter class. So they came out for 10, 10 days, and we made fires in the snow. We gathered grass and made grass blankets. We we did a whole bunch of stuff, but at one point we were in a uh, an apple orchard, an old heirloom apple orchard where a lot of the trees and stuff had fallen down because we had a big, heavy, wet snowstorm the year before. And there was all these smaller trees that had smashed down onto these apple trees. And I said, you know, let's go in there and like gather firewood and just at the same time as we're gathering some firewood for our for our winter camp out, why don't we also kind of garden these trees, cut some of the dead branches off the apple trees and also clear off some of these other, you know, trees that have fallen. And I said, all right, you guys can use this hatchet. You can use an ax. You can use a saw. And I showed them how to use them all safely. We kind of, I watched them, saw what they were doing. And they did that for three hours, tentatively at first. And then as they got more comfortable, they started swinging the at, swinging this little small forest axe. They started swinging the hatchet. They were, you know, sawing through stuff and, and then pulling this, you know, pulling it free. And you could, you could feel like the tree going like, ah, oh, thank you. You know, even though it was winter, there was, you know, we had like six inches of snow on the ground and they felt so satisfied. You know, the, the brush was on the ground. It was still, you know, there was just this feeling of space that was happening in the orchard. And later on, when I would, when I did my evaluations, you know, where I asked people, what was your favorite, one of your favorite things you did in the program, every single one of them said it was so empowering to feel like I could go in and chop wood and be effective. I feel like that just was so meaningful to me. I mean, in, you know, in a list of all the things we did, <laughs> I, I felt kind of like, oh yeah, all the, what, what about the other 14 different skills that I taught and you all mastered? you know, really chopping was the one, but you know what? It, it, I think it was the feeling of this developmental skill that they learned that, they, that kind of started soaking into their, <laughs> into their being and gave them this confidence that they said, I, I feel like I could do anything. And I was like, yeah, I mean, that is exactly what a nine-year-old feels like, or a seven-year-old feels like when they actually go and say, I'm going to take this saw and cut a stick to make a walking stick. You know, you learn that when you're six or seven or eight, you learn those things. And then that gives you the confidence to move forward. And I realized that these young people, they had never had that. They had never had that experience of the skills behind the skills. And when they missed that, it was a struggle. And I'll give you one more story, which is uh, a similar type of story. I had a group of young men one winter, and they were all excited to stay for the winter at Hawk Circle. They were going to just live at our place, help out with whatever. We had lots of little projects going on and we had training programs and so forth. And I said, guys, you know, we only have about two weeks to get a lot of firewood. We had a a big pile of like uh, of firewood logs that had been brought in on a truck. And I said, I'm going to, I chainsawed all this wood up yesterday. And I said, we need to take these. We need to split this wood, throw it in the truck, bring it up to the house and we need to stack it. So you guys have firewood. There was, I think four of them and they were, all in their mid to late 20s, and they were all like way stronger than me. Big, beefy, super awesome guys. And I want to say this was probably 12 years ago, so it was a long time ago. Not anybody recently, so don't try to figure out who it was. (laughs) I have to be careful because there are people that I know who are probably listening to this, and I want to make sure that nobody feels bad. But I told them, I said, hey, I need a part for my chainsaw. 
I'm not going to be able to do the rest of the sawing that I want to do if I don't go get this part in. But I said, I feel bad leaving you guys because I just, I'd rather be here splitting wood. It was all like white ash and cherry. It was all like super easy wood to split. I said, but go ahead and, you know, do the best you can. And I said, I'll be back. And I told him, I said, I think it's going to be about 40 minutes. So I drove into town. It took about an hour. It always, I always think it's going to be 40 minutes. It always takes longer. I come back with the part. I get there and they are filling up the truck. And I see, I can tell right away that the truckload that we, that they had really, it really, that was it. They, I could see by the amount of bark on the ground that they hadn't cut up and split up, you know, a load and then unloaded it and then come back that they were still like the truck was about uh, maybe two thirds full. And I could see logs that, uh, you know, rounds, stumps of, you know, rounds of wood that I had sawn with like 10 or 15 or 20 or 30 marks where the splitting mole had hit it and then bounced out or stuck and they had to pull it out that they, that they were having trouble splitting the wood and that they were, they just were struggling. And my first instinct when I saw that was, I first thought like, I'm going to be stuck with these guys. For, a, for the winter and they can't split wood. I was just like, oh, you guys, you're killing me. That was my thought. But I did. luckily I didn't say that because I didn't want them to feel bad about what they were struggling with because I realized in my second thought was they just have never split wood before. They don't know anything. And just to be fair, I have split wood since I was 11 years old. We have heated with wood. I grew up in upstate New York in my later childhood, you know, after I moved out, out here. And I split wood. I learned the names of, you know, the maple and cherry and oak and ash and all the different types of woods that are out there. I've split them. I've split birch. I've split wood and stacked wood and done that kind of work my most of my life. So coming into that, I didn't want to come in and go like, hey, blah, blah, blah. This is the deal. I just kind of looked at them and talked to them and I said, hey, it looks like you guys are really struggling. What's going on? They kind of looked at me kind of sheepishly. I know they felt bad. I think they could feel my energy initially, even though I didn't say it. And I said, all right. I said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to tell you that when I split wood, there are things I'm doing that you don't know that I'm doing. And they were like, what do you mean? And I said, well, when I swing the, the mall, I don't just lift it up over my head and drop it. I kind of swing it up around and then come down. And I said, though, there's a whole part of like where it's coming from your core, from your stomach, your abdomen, your abs. It's coming from your waist and your, and the way I'm pulling it, it's using gravity and this like force that's coming in. And I said, that's one thing that's happening. And then I hit it. The second thing that's happening is I'm looking at where is it going to go? And so I have to learn how to aim my blow to be effective. And so I, I usually try to split it right in the center if it's like a white ash or something, sometimes I have to kind of come in from the outside and take little chunks off and then split it because it's just too big. And I said, all right, I'm going to show you what I mean. And so I started splitting. I found one piece that would just split right in half. I was like, bam, it split right in half. Then I said, okay, here's a piece of maple and I'm going to split it around and go around the outside edges and knock off a bunch of pieces of firewood and then split it right in the middle. So I did, I did that demo and they looked at me and their eyes kind of got real big. And I said, look, I've been splitting it my whole life. Don't be feel, feel bad. Like, yeah, I'm making it look easy right now, but I'm going to tell you the secret. This is the real secret. And I said, and it took me a long time to learn this and I had to watch 
my stepfather do it and other other men that were bigger and stronger than me split wood before I realized that they were doing this. And I said, it took me a long time because they never told me this. And they go, what? <laughs> and I said, when I look at that stump right there, I have made a decision that, that that stump is coming with me and it is going to be part of my firewood pile and I need to break it into smaller pieces and it will be in the firewood pile. And I have to believe that that's the case. And I have to basically say, I am going to split you and this, and this is what the deal is. And I said, that doesn't happen all the time because sometimes you get a piece of elm or something, <laughs> something that is really twisty and it just won't go. Like Juneberry and elm and there's a few others, cottonwood or whatever. They kind of have this weird twisty reverse grain that's like a spiral that is just brutal. And you can't, you really... It's very difficult to split those in some cases. But I said, when I'm looking at that piece, I have to say to myself, you're going with me, you're splitting, and you're splitting right now. And you're not splitting in 100 blows, you're going to split in the next five blows, period. And I, you have to make that decision, and then you have to uh, put your focus and your intent on that and make it happen. You have to believe it. I, I didn't want to tell them it was like a manly thing or whatever, because that's not quite right. But I said, it, it is a feeling, it's a power that comes in, and you have to have that power. And I said, I want you to go out. I want you to take it. I said, first practice your aim. Try hitting just to, you know, it looks like I said, from what I can see, when you've hit all these, your aim is actually pretty good. That was good. You practiced getting your aim right. Now you have to you have to see that that splitting ball go down through the log and then down either into the log you have it sitting on or into the gravel, you know, of the dirt road. And I said, I don't care if it hits the gravel. It's a blunt splitting mall. It's designed to go into the ground. It's totally fine if you do. And I did a few demos of that and they just, they went back and they just started to split and I could see the change in them. And they did the, it was the same thing as, as the women that were chopping the branches with these axes and hatchets. They were, they were taking that splitting malls and just slamming it down and watching this big, whatever, 20 inch round of ash or maple and just seeing it like split in half of these massive chunks and then restanding it back up and just smacking it one, two, three, four, and, and then grabbing that firewood and throwing it in the truck. And the energy that they had was just infectious. They were like, so they were so happy. I, they were felt they felt so low that when I got back because they were like uh hanging their heads and oh uh, we didn't do it and you know because and I had I had explained to them like guys it's gonna snow tomorrow and it's gonna be freezing rain and snow and I said all of this wood's gonna be covered in ice and snow we can either split it today or we can do it right now or we can do it tomorrow when we have to scrape ice off the off the logs and they were like yeah, let's do it. And so we just split wood for like two hours, you know, did a bunch of loads and I could see them feel like they, the way they carried themselves, they just felt empowered in a way that I cannot really describe except to say that they knew how to take care of their business. You know, like they knew how to, that they could do something that they didn't know before. And it involved them channeling their power. This is a skill that takes time to learn. You can't get that skill from reading a BuzzFeed, you know, seven hacks to wilderness survival. You can't get that from Homestead Living magazine, you know, that you buy in tractor supply. Like you can't get those with little tips, with little lists. You have to do it in the field and and you need somebody like me or someone to come in and go, I'm giving you permission to beat the hell out of that log and split that thing down and get going and not take all freaking day. Get it done 
do it. And all of a sudden you realize I can do this and I can be effective and I don't have to take all day. And that is so empowering. And, and it, it makes a joy out of the work because you're realizing that you're being effective and you're taking care of business. These are the skills behind the skills, people. Like I'm just saying that this is the value and the reason why this work is so critical is that we want to raise human beings to be able to go out and actually be able to identify mushrooms so they don't kill everybody when they bring home the wrong mushroom and feed it to their family thinking that they're playing at being a forager. They have to know that they have to be 100% focused and verify that that mushroom is what you think it is, not what you hope it is, not what you wish it was, that it actually is that and you know exactly why it is. And that means you have to have that identification process memorized and infused in part of you. And if you think you can casually work your way through mushroom wild food foraging, dream on, okay? You know, like might want to buy some life insurance because there's a good chance somebody's going to collect on that if you're not paying attention. It's true for everything. You know, fishing is a great activity, but if you're not really paying attention to the wind and the banks and how slippery it is, you could fall in the river. You could not make it. It could be bad, not necessarily life-threatening, but bad. And I, so the reason I'm sharing this is to just say the role that you play as a forest educator is that you're giving these children a chance to have these skills behind the skills, to observe the weather, to be out in the rain, to learn how to mentally deal with whatever's going on that's happening right in front of them. And then to be alert and to go, wow, what's that bird doing? And study that for 20 minutes and just follow that and being able to follow it without having to get on somebody else's agenda and go, hey, you know, blah, blah, blah. We all need to pay attention to this other thing over here that I think is important. You know, right now, sometimes you just need to watch one bird kick the other bird's butt that's trying to move into its territory and to go, that bird is not playing around. This is a life and death struggle right now and we're watching it and that changes you when you see that. And it changes you to say, let's go down to the river and pick blackberries or you know boysenberries down by the river and to see that they're coated with dust from the road and the path and, and that you're sharing this blackberry bush with a whole bunch of yellow jackets but it's okay. They're not trying to sting you. They just, you can carefully pluck those and get gallons and gallons of blackberries and you can do it and not get scratched and not get stung because you're doing it with the other animals and with nature. Like you're, you're teaching them that you can be effective in a way that will help them when they go out into their world, whatever that world's going to look like, they are going to be able to bring these skills to, to support them in the new skills that they're going to build. I, I cannot say how valuable it is that you're doing that work and how important it is. And, and to just know and say, it's okay to not let them skip steps. You know, it, it wouldn't be really very valuable if you went and said, I'm going to go get uh, a martial arts. Uh, I'm going to try to get a black belt. And then you went there and the guy went, oh, okay, I like your, I like your sidekick. That's pretty good. Oh, I show me a roundhouse. Okay, it needs a little work. Hey, you know what? you've been here for three weeks here. I'll just give you a black belt because you're a nice guy. And I trust that you're going to figure it out. That is a worthless black belt, right? That doesn't mean anything. If you don't insist that the people that you're working with who are learning these skills, um, build those really good basic building blocks, then 
how can they trust what they're going to learn down the road? They have to internalize that feeling. And they only get that if you get why it's valuable and you understand the power of it. And it's a lot easier to explain to parents what the value is of what they're doing if you feel it in your core. You know, it, you can post like endlessly on Instagram of like, kids need play, blah, blah, blah. That's great. That's true. But you need to be able to say, if you don't get this, you know, if you can't make those judgments and that level of awareness of knowing whether this is a edible mushroom or not, and having the certainty and ha- feeling it inside yourself, then how are you going to trust a leadership decision that that person's going to make 15 years later, 20 years later, when they're not really certain, when they don't know what that core feeling is? You're not. And that's why we have so many people that they feel spongy. You know, they don't have, you You keep, you can poke and feel and go, is there a bottom to wherever the sponginess is? And there sometimes isn't. And you're just like, where is your core? Where's your core? And and you you can't get there because it's not there and they don't know where it is. And we have to help them find that. And that's what you're doing when you're teaching children about everything, you know, excellence, mastery, building these building blocks and knowing how good it is and how good it feels. Um, so the skills behind the skills, people, you're doing it. I am 100% in awe of your ability to keep going with that, working with that, all that it entails. It is not easy work. It is a struggle at times. I'm super excited to see where this whole movement goes. But I can tell you right now, the the world and the children and our all of our future generations and, and our current life depends, you know, on how we pass on this information and these experiences to that younger generation. And we need it now more than ever. We have never in the history of the human race been this disconnected from the natural world ever. And this is a giant experiment, what we're going through right now. It's a giant cultural and species-wide experiment. And it's not really working out that well for a lot of species, including our own. No one's really getting the advantage here of this experiment. And so we don't have a lot of room to fix it. But the work that we are doing as educators is absolutely 100% vital and It starts with feeling those things and feeling it in our core and learning about mastering the skills behind the skills. So, hey, thank you. Thank you for doing what you do. I really appreciate it. I will see you next week. Thanks for listening to today's episode and for all the things that you do to help build a world that is connected to nature. You can get access to the bonus episodes my forest educator nature journals and curriculum, as well as other useful content by subscribing to my Patreon page where you can support us at any level. You can find the link in the show notes for that and my website and social media as well. And I will see you outside.